0: Well, if you'll turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, but this time to chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 14. Also, you can turn to the back of the hymnal, page 927, 927. Tonight we look at the subject of sanctification, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and then in the back of the hymnal, page 927, you'll see chapter 13 of sanctification. Let's pray, and then we'll read. Let's pray first. Now, our God and our Father, we thank you again for the Bible and pray that the Holy Spirit feed us tonight, for thy word is truth. Sanctify us by the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then, Page 927, Chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, of Sanctification, Section 1. They who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Section 2. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, Yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption <clears throat> in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Section 3. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail. Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Amen. Excuse me here. My throat is a little scratchy. So tonight we are going to talk about the subject of sanctification. Sanctification, we are going to define it and explain it in three parts. Number one, what is sanctification? What is sanctification? Number two, why must we be sanctified? And number three, how do we grow in sanctification? One, what is sanctification? Two, why must we be sanctified and number three how do we grow in sanctification now in contemporary evangelical circles there is a tremendous amount of pressure on churches pastors and denominations to grow numerically there is an entire movement that has been created to meet these expectations called the church growth movement and it spans over several decades And all across evangelical and mainline denominations, even some cults have adopted some of the techniques of the church growth movement. Churches, pastors, denominations often are measured and judged as successful by the standard of numbers. Those activities and techniques which generate crowds are often adopted while others are jettisoned. And there's no shortage of books or Uh, sermons on seminars, sometimes for a price and a fee, uh, that aim at this market. So when pastors often are asked, how is it going? The answer often that comes or is sometimes expected is a numerical answer. Now, having said that, that is not altogether wrong. Um, Revelation 7-9 tells us that the church in glory is composed of a great multitude that no man can number. We are told in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 souls are brought to faith at Pentecost, a couple thousand more uh, the day later. We see that Paul asks congregations to pray for, quote, an open door for an effective service for communities that have no gospel. We are told in the Old Testament, God had promised Abraham a great multitude of descendants from all the nations of the earth. Zion is a mountain, which becomes the chief mountain. And the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that does indeed grow. Um, Yet, for all these prophetic promises and historical narratives that we find in the Old and New Testaments, which show the growth of the church, the New Testament also says that we have to be careful how we grow, boys and girls. It's not just good enough to grow numerically, and to necessarily say that God is in it. What do you, how do you explain if a cult grows? What then do we say about that? So we, we can't say simply numerical growth means that it's good. So how, what, what does the New Testament say? Well, the New Testament says that we need to be equally concerned about not only the growth of the church, but that the church grow in grace and in holiness So, for example, Paul said to the Corinthian church, take heed how you build, lest you build on any other foundation other than Christ Jesus. Uh, We also know from the New Testament that Paul tells us on the final day there's going to be a test of our church, of our growth, and the building, meaning the building of the people. Um, And we know that it is not going to be a quantitative analysis it is going to be a qualitative one. Paul says that that uh, the t- church will be tested by fire and that which is consumed will be that which was built with hay and straw and stubble, but that which lasts will be shown to be truly the work of God. So we know that God wants us to grow numerically, but he also wants us to be growing in grace and in sanctification. The New Testament has an overwhelming concern, one that I think is not shared equally in emphasis from American pulpits, with holiness within the church. You see in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes to the seven churches, and he evaluates those churches. And oftentimes, his concern touched upon things that related to faithfulness, holiness, sanctification. I've sometimes wondered as a pastor, if Jesus was to write a letter to me about our church, what would he say? Um, I say to me because I think when it says to the angel of such a church, it may mean messenger, the one who preaches. Um, what would he what would he say if the lord were to write about us and i've often wondered how are we doing i would like to know what is jesus's evaluation of us here at covenant are we faithful would he commend us for certain things i think he might would he admonish us for other things that possibly could be true as well but whatever degree that we are not conforming to the opinion of jesus we are lacking in some kind of holiness or sanctification. Because whatever Jesus' opinion is, is not just an opinion. It's the absolute truth. So the New Testament has a concern about this issue that we're talking about tonight, sanctification. Sanctification, or to sanctify boys and girls, just means to set apart unto God. It is a growth in holiness. The more we grow in grace... The more we grow in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is sanctification. To become more sanctified means you're growing more and more like Christ. You're growing more in holiness. uh, You are mortifying more sin in your life. And we trust that over the years, that growth in grace becomes evident to others as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That is, you are to walk in a conformity to the walk of Christ. What kind of walk have you been called to? You've been called to walk and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. We are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, we believe in Jesus Christ dying for our sins. We have to live out in our conduct in a way that reflects what we believe about the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 Through 11. For this reason also, says Paul, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and understanding. Now, why does He want, why is He praying for the Holy Spirit to fill them with wisdom and understanding? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, to please him at school, please him at home, to please him at church, to please him in the workplace, to please him in your civic associations, to please him in the rec league, to please him in your neighborhood, wherever God has you at that moment. Whatever your hand is doing, do it unto the Lord with all your might, that everything is consecrated to the Lord, uh, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. There are others, First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, listen to that. Young people, a lot of young people, you want to know, what's God's will for my life? You know, what should I, what school should I go to? What should be my major? Who should I marry? What am I going to do? What's my vocation going to be? Well, this is God's will for you. First and foremost, your sanctification. Notice here, Paul doesn't concern first and foremost with what your vocation is going to be. He says, concern yourself first and foremost with growing in holiness in the Lord. Or to put it in the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Paul says this is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification. So one of the things it means uh, for us to know God's will is that we don't live like Gentiles with regard to our body. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We should always give thanks to God, says Paul, for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Notice, you're chosen of God in the beginning, but why are you chosen? You're chosen to be holy and blameless. That's why God chose you is so that you would be sanctified, so that you would be holy, that you would one day be in glory with him. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, Jesus says. When Jesus is praying his prayer for the church, before he goes to the cross, before he's arrested and put on trial, what does Jesus pray? He prays for the unity, but he prays for the holiness of the church. He prays for the sanctification of the church. And he prays that we would be sanctified through the scriptures. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So the, the Lord is insistent and even passionate that his church, his bride, that she should be holy and sanctified. Now, what do we say to this? Well, first of all, I think we should say to this, this is, I, I think I've hoped through what I gave you, I gave you seven verses there, um, that you see something of the New Testament uh, passion for this subject. Holiness and sanctification is important. It is our growth in grace. And this needs to be emphasized in American pulpits as much as the numerical size. We want the church to numerically grow, but if we grow numerically, but we don't grow in grace, then we're not doing anybody much good. You are called to be salt to preserve. You're called to be light, a witness. How are you going to be a light? A light has to be something different than the darkness. That means you have to be set apart from what the culture is around you uh, and live according to a different principle within you. We are uh, called by the Apostle Paul to present our members as slaves to righteousness, and we have to serve righteousness, Uh, Let me quote to you the great um, Anglican preacher J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, in his book uh, entitled Holiness, has this to say There are three things which, according to the Bible, are absolutely necessary to the salvation of every man and woman in Christendom. These three are regeneration, justification, and sanctification. All three meet in every child of God. Regeneration, justification, sanctification. All three meet in the, every child of God. He is both born again and justified and sanctified. He that lacks any one of these things is not a true Christian in the sight of God. And dying in that condition will not be found in heaven and glorified In the last day. Pretty good for 39 articles there, right? That's good stuff. So what is sanctification? Well, we read uh, sanctification from the confession. Let me give it to you from the shorter catechism. Question 35. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. First of all, notice here that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. Notice that that the Westminster Divines use a different word than they did for justification. Justification is an act, they said. One time moment. Sanctification is an what? a work, an ongoing process. Sanctification is the work. They didn't use the word act when they were answering this question in the Shorter Catechism. So pay attention, kids, to those Shorter Catechism answers because even one little word makes a world of theological difference. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. We see in the Catechism, we are renewed in the entirety of our man. We saw that in the Confession too. Sanctification is happens to the totality of our humanity, our affections, our will, our mind. Uh, All of that makes us who we are is touched by sanctification. Jesus dies not only to pardon our sin, but to deliver us from sin and its dominion. You are saved not just from the wrath that sin provokes in God, you're saved also from the sin itself. Jesus saves you from sin, not just the consequences of sin. Jesus saves you from more than hell. Jesus saves you unto holiness. Jesus delivers you from sin, from first its tyranny and then from its presence. And that also this sanctification is progressive in nature we are increasingly conformed over time into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let me read from the larger catechism. Question 75, sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of His Spirit so this is the sanctification is a work of God's spirit. The spirit is given to you because Christ has died for you. The spirit applying the death and resurrection of Jesus to you, unto them. Renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts. And those graces stirred up, increased and strengthened stirred up, increased, and strengthened, as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. Again, let me quote J.C. Ryle in his book on holiness. He says that sanctification is that inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Ghost when he calls him to be a true believer. He not only washes him from his sins, in his own blood, but he also separates him from his natural love of sin and the world. He puts a new principle in his heart and makes him practically godly in life. So notice here that J.C. Ryle says it is an inward work of the Lord and it separates him from sin. Now, I want to uh, give you nine misconceptions of sanctification. I may have gotten this from Beaky, and I've, I don't remember where I got this. Um, I know I got my later stuff from Beaky, so that's what makes me think this came from Beaky, too. But in my typing, I failed to put it in here. Nine misconceptions of sanctification. Number one. The first one uh, is monasticism. Monasticism. Now, monasticism... Um, is not as prevalent today as it used to be, though you can go out to Conyers, Georgia, and there's a monastery out there. So it is still practiced uh, around in places. Uh, monasticism uh, is that withdrawal from the contaminations of society. Yes, and this does come from Beakey. I did, I did cite him here. So uh, Joel Beakey says, monasticism, this is a prevalent Roman Catholic view. Um, probably more prevalent in the Middle Ages prior to the Reformation than afterward. But it is where, boys and girls, people uh, attempt to withdraw from society and just huddle together uh, behind the walls of the monastery, okay? And, but there's a big problem with monasticism. The problem with monasticism is you're bringing yourself into the monastery, okay? Okay. And uh, you, could, you could be a billionaire, buy yourself a Caribbean island, and say, you know, I'm going to set up the most perfect holy place to live on earth. Uh, but the problem is you're going to be there. <laughs> so the, the, there, is a, there is a difficulty uh, in, in this theory here. Um, holiness is an inward work of the Spirit of God. Holiness is not just this separation, this segregation from the world. So there there is a a serious problem uh, with this view. Number two, the second misconception of sanctification. Again, this is not a real problem in Western society these days, but asceticism. uh, Asceticism. Now, there may be some uh, groups out there that promote extreme forms of fasting and, and such, But asceticism, which is spelled A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M, asceticism. Asceticism is trying to pursue holiness by forsaking the world, but engaging in prayer vigils, fasting, self-mortification to the extreme. Um, This tends, says Beeky, to miss the mark because it is concerned With externals and misses the major problem uh, with his heart's worldliness. He said here, no monastery can remove your own uh, heart issue. Asceticism often accompanied monasticism. We see Paul warns against this asceticism in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. He says, These are matters, he says, which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. Now remember, he's a former Pharisee too. So he knows about this subject. He says, they have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And that's why, you know, many times these monasteries actually have the grossest of sins going on behind their walls. I think the closer you get to the Vatican, the worse it gets, actually. Um, We'll see on the Day of Judgment. But uh, I think, um, and, we, and we know it breaks out in the news that people who run the Vatican are doing all kinds of things with prostitutes and stuff like that. So <clears throat> this, this view of holiness uh, does not work. Number three, mysticism. Mysticism. <clears throat> mysticism um, is not trying to flee the world like monasticism or asceticism, but it's trying to rise above the world, says Beeky. Um, Holiness is viewed as a ladder which have various stages of spiritual absorption into God and that that could be purgation, illumination, contemplation. Mysticism tends to put feeling though above the truth. This is the danger of it. It tends to uh, separate itself from the scripture and that what becomes... Important is how you feel um, more than what the truth is. Number four, sacramentalism. Sacramentalism. <clears throat> this is where sanctification is thought to be achieved uh, automatically through the impartation of grace through all who receive the Mass. It is a movement away from personal subjective work of the spirit on the heart of the sinner. The idea is that the more I take the mass, this is why you have some people go daily to mass. Um, And uh, they'll they'll go because they believe that this is the grace. They get grace automatically every time they go and go and go and go. Uh, they uh, They achieve a greater level of sanctification. The greater level of sanctification, then that means less time in purgatory. Afterward. Fifth misconception is when sanctification is blended with justification. When sanctification is blended with justification. Again, this is a Roman Catholic problem tend- tendency. Um, justification and sanctification <clears throat> must be next door neighbors. There needs to be, though, a clear line of distinction between justification and sanctification. I'll talk more about this in a moment. But in the Roman Catholic world, sanctification is blended with justification. The church confuses sanctification with justification, and therefore they have a view of sanctification that leads to justification. That is not our view. That's not the Reformed view. Sanctification does not lead to justification. Justification leads to sanctification. Justification is an act of God's free grace where we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven and we're justified in the sight of God. And from that justification, out of gratitude to God, what he has done for us in pardoning us and giving us righteousness that is acceptable to him, we now seek to live out a life of sanctification unto him. Um, it it does not stem from our, our sanctification stems from justification, not vice versa. Now the Reformation did a lot to break away from these abuses and misconceptions here, but there there are four others that we need to be aware of. Uh, another one is outdated backwardness. Outdated backwardness, says beaky. This would be like the Amish view. Okay, can't can't own a car. Got to ride a horse and buggy. Uh, can't have you know four buttons on my shirt. That's too worldly. I got to have three buttons. You know, no electricity, uh, etc. Uh, that this this will lead to greater holiness. Uh, that is a wrong view. Number seven, moralistic legalism. Now we're getting closer to home here, uh, here in the South. Independent fundamentalists, um, moralistic legalism, having lengthy list of prohibitions, no movies, no alcohol, no card playing, no dancing, no makeup, uh, etc. cetera. The, the list may vary according to the church, but... Uh, there's this list, and you know this is what holiness looks like. Um, you can see it's a very external view of holiness. Okay, doesn't do anything about murder, you know, in your heart or pride or things like that. Number eight. Um, number eight is to have a diminished view of holiness. That is to say, holiness isn't that important. A certain dispensationalists hold to this viewpoint. Uh, Under the the pretext of free grace, they would deny the necessity of a changed life. We touched on this this morning, the lordship controversy. There there were people who had what they called a carnal Christian theory. That is, you could accept Jesus as your savior, but you didn't have to exhibit a changed life. You are a carnal Christian, they said. You've professed with your mouth, you signed a card, you walked an aisle, you joined a church, but you have no evidence of a changed life, no evidence of fruit. And they said, Well, this is this is just a Christian who is carnal. Um, and, and so they diminished the importance of sanctification. No. Sanctification must be present as evidence of a justified saving faith. Um so the diminished view is a misconception. Then finally, nine, the higher life or perfectionism coming out of certain Wesleyan circles. An emphasis on entire sanctification in this life. Even uh, some uh, saying that they have eradicated sin entirely in their life and that they now have perfect love. Well, 1 John 1.8 tells us that cannot be achieved in this life. Uh, John says, the apostle, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now that one day we will be perfected, but that is in glory and not yet here in in this world. So these are all misconceptions of sanctification. Now secondly, I want to deal with the question, why must we be sanctified? Why must we be sanctified here? i give you 11 reasons. <laughs> There's probably more, but 11 reasons. Number one, God has called you to sanctification. Romans uh, chapter 6. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, Romans chapter 6 and verse, look at verse 19. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. I am speaking in human terms, says Paul, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness that he's talking about before they became Christians, their their body was presented as agents of lawlessness. He says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, and then also um, look at verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin, that is, freed from the dominion of sin, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So God has called us to sanctification, not to our former uncleanness. We need to put away the way we used to walk before we knew Jesus Christ. And we need to walk uh, as slaves unto Christ and to righteousness. Number two, not only has God called you to sanctification, but sanctification is the evidence of justification. Now, as I said, there has to be this distinction between justification and sanctification. We cannot blend the two. But whereas Beeke says justification is the title to heaven, sanctification is the fitness for heaven. Justification is the title to heaven. Sanctification is the fitness for heaven. An unsanctified person, what's he going to do in heaven? You know, if if he's too bored by church to make it here on Sunday, what's he going to do in glory? I mean, holiness um, is necessary. We read in our opening text in Hebrews 12, 14, for glory. Number three. Sanctification gives evidence of your election. Sanctification gives evidence of your election. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians and uh, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2:13, 2, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning for what? For salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. Notice what he is saying. He he is linking here eternity past and eternity future. You've been chosen by God in eternity past. For what? For salvation, but through what? Through sanctification. Chosen by God in eternity past, glorified by God in eternity future, but what's in between? your growth in grace, your sanctification. It is an evidence of you having been chosen. One commentator said election is the last thing we know. Sanctification is the earmark. Election is a comforting doctrine for it explains to us why God's grace is at work within us. Number four, sanctification. Without it, all things are defiled. You don't have to turn there. Titus chapter 1, though, verse 15. Titus 1.15. Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Through Jesus Christ, though, God sanctifies his children and makes our prayers and thanksgivings acceptable. So uh, we uh, are dependent upon Christ. And having come to Christ now, everything is set apart Unto the Lord. Number five, I got to keep moving. Sanctification augments your spiritual health. Listen to what John Flavel says about this. Sanctification augments your spiritual health. What health is to the heart, says Flavel, holiness is to the soul. Spiritual health comes through discipline. Through chastisement, child of God, you are profitably exercised by the Father. And this results in genuine holiness, without which you cannot see the Lord. Through Christ's justifying power, you are a clean slate before God. That is, when you, the moment you're justified, all your sins are pardoned. Through Christ's justifying power, you are a clean slate before God. Through His sanctifying power, a clear conscience both are critical for spiritual health number six sanctification fosters assurance we were talking about this this morning those of you who struggle with assurance one of the best ways you can gain assurance is to grow in holiness listen to Matthew 7 verse 16 ye shall know them by their fruits now most reform Scholars agree that assurance is built gradually. And how is it built gradually? Through sanctification. The more sanctification is cultivated, the more assurance comes in, says Beeky. When sanctification is neglected, assurance is greatly diminished. diminished. Number seven, sanctification is essential for effective service to God. Sanctification is essential for effective service to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. 2 Timothy 2, 21. If a man, If a man therefore purge himself, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work, Sanctification will make you better at serving Christ. Holiness makes you more effective Christian no matter what you do. It is likeness to Christ that God often uses in his kingdom. Um, I think it's E.M. Bounds, the great Methodist preacher who wrote those books on prayer, speaks about that, I think, in the opening chapter on prayer, that it, that it is those who are... Most like unto God are the most effective. And therefore, he was making the argument, how do you become most like Christ? It's uh, by way of prayer. Sanctification, number eight, sanctification makes you resemble God. Many of your neighbors will not read their Bible. And therefore, it means that your sanctification becomes important. Because that is the next best thing they will see to Christ. Is the way you speak, the way you act, the way you live. Number nine, the, the God you love, loves holiness. Beaky quotes William Gurnall. William Gurnall says this, God would not rub so hard if it were not to fetch out the dirt that is ingrained in your nature. God loves purity so well, he'd rather see a hole than a spot in his child's garments. So you, uh, the God you love, loves holiness. So you should love holiness. Number 10, sanctification preserves your integrity. Sanctification keeps you from hypocrisy, from Sunday-only Christianity. Number 11, sanctification fits you for heaven. Again, our text, pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Beeky here quotes from John Owen. Owen says this, there is no imagination more foolish, none so pernicious as this, that persons not purified, not sanctified, not made holy in their life should afterwards be taken into that state of blessedness which consists in the enjoyment of God. Neither can such person enjoy God. Um, God would not be a reward to them. Holiness indeed is perfected in heaven, but the beginning of it is invariably confined to this world. God leads none to heaven, but whom he sanctifies on earth. This living head will not admit dead members. And then finally, our third point, how it may we be sanctified? How it may we be sanctified? Here again, Beaky, good Puritan, Neo-Puritan that he is, gives you ten reasons. Ten, ten. <laughs> Number one, how can you be sanctified? First of all, you've got to know the Bible. Know and relish Scripture. This is God's primary road to holiness, John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So that is the way we have to travel. Number two, strive, says Beeky, for constant faith in Jesus Christ. He says, flee to Jesus Christ often. <coughs> <Excuse me. clears throat> Seek to touch the hem of his garment. Faith and love of sin cannot mix. Faith and love of sin cannot mix. Seek Jesus Christ, not just experiences of Christ, he says, but Christ himself. Love the person of Christ, not the picture of that person. You know, um, kids, when you get older and you find the person you're going to marry, you know, you have a picture of them on your desk or whatever. You, you love the person it's in the picture, but not the picture itself. Number three, how do we grow in sanctification? We ask ourselves, what would Christ do? First Corinthians chapter 11 verse one says, "Be ye followers of me," says Paul, "Even as I am of Christ. Insofar far as I follow Jesus, you follow me." So we have to ask ourselves, well, what would Jesus have us do? How do I follow Jesus Christ? In this particular circumstance. Number four. Beeky says breathe after the spirit. The spirit of God perfumes a man with holiness. And makes his heart a map of heaven. Oh I'm sorry. Uh, That is a quotation of Thomas Watson. Excuse me. Thomas Watson says the spirit of God perfumes a man with holiness. And makes his heart a map of heaven. Number five. Associate with mentors in holiness. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. So seek out uh, mentors, older women teaching younger women, um, uh, younger men seeking those who have advanced uh, in holiness in years. Number six, pray for holiness. You have not. Because you ask not. Pray that you would grow in grace and in sanctification. Number seven, regard yourself as dead to the dominion of sin and alive to God in Christ. Look at Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. It's a great chapter on this subject. Uh, Look at verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, that is, just as Jesus died on the cross and was raised, so we are to die to sin in Christ and be raised to newness of life. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, verse 11, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then number eight. Three more, kids. We're almost done. Number eight. Nurture and persevere in personal discipline. Uh, nurture and persevere in personal discipline. Jonathan Edwards Quote, never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with corruption, however unsuccessful I may be in one of his resolutions. You may fail at times. The Bible says, though, that the righteous man falleth seven times, but what? Gets up. So it's not the life that never fails. It's the life that keeps on repenting. Number nine. Examine your actions. Beaky asks that we ask these five questions. Number one, does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? Number two, is this consistent with the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is this consistent with the lordship of Christ? Number three, is this lawful or beneficial for me? Remember, not everything that is lawful is necessarily beneficial for your spiritual growth. Is this lawful or beneficial for me spiritually, mentally, physically? Number four, does this help others and not hurt others unnecessarily? Does this help others and not hurt others unnecessarily? Number five, does this bring me under any enslaving power? Does this bring me under any enslaving power? And then finally, number ten, Live present tense, total commitment. Beaky says, avoid the quote-unquote one-more-time syndrome. Uh, I'll just sin or do this one more time, Then then I'll repent. Beaky says, tomorrow's repentance is today's disobedience. Amen. Let's pray together.